You're listening to Simmering Thoughts, where we serve up slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. I'm your host, Ryan Akers. In this episode, we continue our series on anthropology. Today, I'm joined by Casey Holinchik, who is a pastor in California. We're discussing man being created to be in community. This is the second part of the conversation, so if you've not heard it yet, please go back and listen to the first episode. You have just enough time to grab your Bible, grab your favorite beverage, and grab your favorite seat as we serve up slow-cooked thinking on Christian life and theology. That's that's the the chain we start to see over time is is picking up those icons and picking up those memories and and finding those little places where the memorial stones were put and saying hey see this one that's still standing that used to mean this and unfortunately I think we're in a generation a couple of generations in a row really uh, the baby boomers were really bad about it they did not want to pick up the cultural icons of their parents at all they wanted to let them go uh, and then we get to uh, Generation X, who really was ambivalent about the whole idea. Uh, and as they got older, they started to pick up those memorial stones and look back at them and hold on to them. And then you get to the bridge generation that I'm in, and most of my generation doesn't really care about that stuff. Um, they're they're piecing together larger pieces of the puzzle than for it to a great degree uh, than just what was brought in one generation. But then you come into this next generation uh, and the, the young adults that, that are, what, 35 and younger, they are not really looking back beyond World War II. That's kind of their end point. 1900 is, is for them ancient history. Uh, they're not looking any further than that. And because of that, there's a lot of, of cultural landmarks that they're not picking up and that are just obliterated. And with that, you get a lot of, um, I guess the term is turbulence, is probably more than anything else because they're grabbing at different different types of memorial stones than the previous generations were because the 1920s were such a mess and the 19-teens were such a mess. And that's the, the heart of the, the cultural look back that we have. You know, you, you hear the, the music that cycles every couple of years to, to look back at a particular decade uh, with history and with politics, we do the same basic thing. You end up going back to particular periods and it's a reaction to that. Well, what reacted that the first time? That's usually what reacts to it the second time. Um, and that's kind of where we are right now is that we're, we're, we're setting down and we're destroying the, the memorial stones that have been left. You know, and I see a, I don't know if it's a big group or a little group in, in the, the more recent generations. Once they realize that there are things to, there are memorial stones to pick up, uh, to use that, that terminology, they end up just grabbing at whatever they can grab at. Yes. Um, and whatever it is, good, bad, and different, related to them or not, you know, um, applicable to them or not, they just grab at whatever is there. Um, because they don't have that, that, that identity, that foundation being passed down. And I think of the, the back and forth that you mentioned um, we, you know, with each generation. I think back to the, the period of the kings in Israel, and so many, it's like, okay, one good king, one bad king, one good yep. king, one bad king, you know. Um, 
just that, that idea of they, they continually are rediscovering uh, God and their and the, and the the writings and the law and all that, and then they keep pushing it aside and yep. the the cycle that they go through, even back in, in Judges, you know, uh, all the way through and then up through the New Testament, how many times we are told, remember, mm-hmm. don't forget, I'm teaching you what I already taught you. Yeah. Um, I, all of that is just continually re- re- repeated over and over. And um, there's, a, there's a, I think, a human tendency to want those memorial stones. But after enough generations, there's a lack of knowledge on which ones to grab and why it matters. Yep. And, and that's where the handing down and the picking up have to be timed pretty well. It's like a relay race. You know, if the, the person handing the baton off reaches it out, but there's nobody there and they let go, it's dropped. If the person yeah. is there holding their hand out to catch it, but nobody hands it to them, it's no good. They can't start running. And it's it's very much that way. And I, I feel that way sometimes to, to, to pull it to the modern church. I feel that way myself sometimes that uh, as I'm coming up as a, as a leader, as I'm learning how to be a leader in my church, there is um, a, a, a mentorship gap. Uh, I'm not sure... And I, and I see this in other areas of society as well, in industry and some other things, that there was a, a point at which the greatest generation was trying to hand off the baton and the baby boomers just didn't want it. And mm-hmm. they never learned how to, to, to get the baton. And so because they didn't learn how to grab it, they struggled in how to hand it off. And, and it's, there, there seemed to be a mentorship gap between those generations. So getting from the greatest generation into generation X, and it was bemoaned at the time in the early eighties, generation X to be part of generation X was as much as an epithet then as millennial is today. And I know that a lot of people don't, don't remember that, but it was (laughs) to be part of generation X was not seen as a good thing. When I was coming up, I was glad I wasn't part of Generation X because they were the worst thing since ever. And uh, <laughs> and now there's the millennials. And thank goodness I'm right between the two of them. And I don't count for either. Or I do count for both. Maybe. I don't know. But, you know. I don't know. The names that they come up with for our bridge generation, though, are the worst. Oh, I know. We're terrible. <laughs> we're probably worse than all of them, to be honest with you, both in name and in fact. But uh, it, it's nice to have others to look at and blame for things, uh, which is part of it. But, you know, there's the, that baton passing. I think some of the skills of that war have not necessarily been handed down well. And that's true in the church and with and outside the church both. And, and we haven't talked a lot about modern church and about how all this plays out. And I, I think you brought up the point exactly that in the New Testament you get so much of, I've already taught you this. Why aren't you paying attention? Let's go through it again. All right, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. This is the basics. And, and, you know, that kind of comes through in Hebrews where, you know, there's a little excursus of saying, well, we should be able to move past this, but we can't quite move past it. But we're going to move past it anyway, I think, because we need to. Okay, here we go. And it's it's all I can almost hear my teacher brain going off in the middle of that, saying that to a class or thinking through it while I'm teaching. I think you've got this, but I'm not sure we really should go back. No, I'm going to go ahead and move on. We'll come back if we have to. Here we go. <laughs> and I kind of get that at a, at a certain point in Hebrews. 
And, you know, you think about the church of Ephesus and that, you know, they had Paul for a while. Paul leaves and tells him exactly what's going to happen. And then it happens. And he sends back Timothy to clean it up. And Timothy leaves and reminds them what Paul reminded him of. And then John comes along and says, hey, guys, you've lost what Paul gave you. Yes. And and so we see that repetitive motion with just that one church in it's one of the bedrock church. It's one of the seven churches mentioned in Revelation. It's a bedrock church for not just a community, a region. And it's gone through how many cycles in how many years? I mean, what Revelation they say was written in, what was it, 90-ish? Is that right? Yeah, 90, 95 is what I usually hear. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's no way that was planted before, what, 50? Yeah. I mean, just just for a ballpark number, somewhere between 50 and 60. And so, you know, it's got to be before 60 because the letter's written by then. And so, you know, you're talking a 40-year period, maybe 50 years if you want to stretch it. Within 50 years, they go through three or four cycles of up and down and up and down. You know, today and we call that a dysfunctional like, church. Yeah, and that's with leaders like you said, Paul and Timothy and John. Yeah, and they, <laughs> and that makes me feel a little bit better about some of the things we have in our current church. But but it should tell us that we're going to be going up and down like this. You know, we're going to have these periods of of renewal, and the reason you have to have a period of renewal is because you've had a period of loss. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as you're saying that, I'm reminded of. Um, at the end of Romans, um, you know, Paul spent 15 chapters to this point just laying out theology and, and, and the right way to, to love and to live and to, to know who God is and who Jesus is and why it's important. And, and not pulling any punches, being completely just blasting everybody uh, in, in a godly way, of course. Right. But in, uh, in chapter 15, he says, I myself am you know, writing to these people that he just finished writing all this stuff too. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Yep. So he's saying, okay, I know you guys already know everything I just told you. And I know that you know it, and I know that you can teach it. And I still had to tell you. And he goes on, but on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Yep. You know it, you can teach it to each other, you can, you can live it out, you can do all these things, and I still needed to come and tell you these things strongly and boldly and, to and, remind you. And similarly with the Corinthian church, and you know, think about the mess that they were in not long after Paul left, that we get, well, there's, there's two letters we have and one that got lost in short order. I mean, those have to be very short order between one, two, three. Yeah. And that was not long after he left that they're in that much of a mess that he spends that much time coaching them through and and building them up and at some spots tearing them down in the process uh and being very bold with them you know the Galatian church you know he went he left he writes back and says why are you who bewitched you who fooled you away and and you know there's it's so fast that we we lose track of things and i i think sometimes we see those great churches that have lasted for a long time or we see the one church that has had the one pastor that's been there since time out of mind and we think that's the normal 
And, you know, even in the biblical record, that's not the normal. In the biblical record, we have a bunch of hurting churches, a bunch of churches that are going through revitalization over and over and over again and going through periods of sinfulness and and struggling with uh, how to do this. And it's interesting to look at the instructions that they're given in each of those settings, whether it's Corinthians or Romans or Ephesians, the ones we've talked about so far, Galatians. You know, he spends a goodly part of the letter laying out all the elementary bedrocks that need to be there. All right, here are the foundation stones. We start with Christ. Now we're going to put this here. We're going to put that there. This is how this plays out. These are all related here. So let's join that up. All right, now we've got everything joined together. And now let's put how this works with within you, between you. And we get the relationship aspect. And I don't like to bifurcate the letters that way, but it, it almost naturally does it for us. It that, does. That now we get from, okay, this is the bedrocks and how everything fits together. Okay, now here's what this is going to decorate itself as, as you love each other. And I, I always think back to, to John, what is it Jesus says? Um, if you love me, you'll do what I say. And so now we get to that in the, in the say in the letters, first we got to have the do what I say. And now we have the picture of now that you have the love of all of this, here's how that's going to look. If you love all of this, this is what it should look like. And we have how we relate. And, and so often, um, we hear the, the phrase, the one another's, but thinking about those one another's each of them, and I don't have them written down in a list near me right now, but each one of them apply not only in the church, but they apply in the family, they apply in the community, they apply at the national level. When we do those one another's inside the church and outside the church, that's when our witness just explodes. And that's what we see with the church in Acts. You know, everybody looks at Acts 2 and, and you everybody wants to be that Acts 2 church. What was it? Oh, they had the foundation right, and then they did the one another's well. Yeah, you know, I think of, um, like you said, the, the way it's split up, and, and I think Paul purposely does that. And yeah. we got to get the knowledge of who Christ is first, hmm. and then how it plays out, so that we don't get it the other way around, uh, and think that the, it leads the other way around. But then we see all the one another's, and we see these commands of, of how we are supposed to treat each other, and there's, and, and, and we don't see distinctions. Maybe in a couple of spots, um, maybe you could draw a distinction. But in the, on the overall, in general, we don't see a distinction of this is how you treat the person sitting next to you in church versus this is how you treat the person who lives next to you that doesn't go to church right. versus this is how you treat a stranger you meet on an airplane flying cross-country. No, it's the standard of behavior on our end is commanded to be the same. Yep. And that's and hard. That's hard to hear. <laughs> so hard. And and even harder to live out. Yeah. Twitter because is a perfect example of that. It is hard it to is. live out. We we don't get to respond to people how they respond to us. Uh, and that was one of the hardest, you know, messages I've had to I've had to preach is is that comes up a couple of times in Romans. Yeah. We don't get to respond the way that people are responding to us. And it's so you see it in you see it on Twitter in every avenue. Right. Um, you see it in in especially in um, you know rural areas. You see it politically a huge amount. Yes. Um, well, 
they're saying this and this and this about what we believe. So we, we're going to say this, this, and this about what they believe. Yep. No, it well, doesn't it happens work in the city too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's kind of the way politics works. And, and sadly, <laughs> so much of that ethos has become the method of the church of, yes. of the, the political operative. We, we, when you watch TV, so much of everything is political theory and political operation and how to, how to drive opinion. And, the Bible is not about how to drive opinion. The Bible shows us the new Testament over and over again. It shows us how to discern fact. And once we've discerned fact and the truth, okay, now that we have that, how are we supposed to deal with that? Uh, that whole idea of, of not returning reviling for reviling. I can't tell you how many times I've mentioned that to someone on Twitter. And I, I tell you almost every single time the response that comes back is well, but and usually the next phrase is mentioned is either Paul in one of his letters or Martin Luther. And, <laughs> and it's like, well, but yeah, there Martin Luther one, I could sit and tell you that he was rude at times and it wasn't becoming, and he wasn't displaying love. He might've been saying what was true, but what was, what was factually accurate doesn't mean that it was said with love. And, and, there's a very clear picture of what that looks like in scripture. And if it, if, if you would bristle and break at having something said to you, don't say it to another person. And so many yeah. people fail that test and they don't even ask the question of what, if this came to me, would I like it? If this came to me, would it change my opinion? And usually the answer to that is no. And, you know, that that plays itself out so often, not just in, you know, we like to pick on I like to pick on Twitter. So many people like to pick on Twitter. But quite honestly, folks, go pick up, uh, go, you know, visit the archives at your local newspaper, pull up the comment section from 50 years ago, 100 years ago and 150 years ago. And I'm telling you, we have not improved. Social media existed back then. It was just called the newspaper newspaper. Uh, I, I know we don't like to hear that. We like to pick on ourselves and what was me? I have to deal with social media, but it's not the truth. We, we can't say that it's new when, you know, the, the, the papers of America, if you look in the 1800s were, oh my goodness, the things that they said under pseudonyms, just like social media, it was the same stuff. And Martin Luther's responses to so many things are similar. And it, that was, it's been part of the public parlance forever, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to join into it. doesn't mean we're supposed to go do the things that drive us nuts. If you don't like the implications that someone puts on your words, don't put implications on their words that they didn't say. You know, I think of, you know, Martin Luther was not inerrant and it was not inspired exactly. the way the writings of the Bible are. Yeah. Um, great man did, you know, you're not going to find a bigger fan, but, you're right. You hear some of the things he said and some of the, the names he called people and, and the different things. And he was not always acting the way he was supposed to act. Yep. And there are people that uh, celebrate that even today. Right. But we see that with we, we see that with characters in the Bible, too. Yeah. Um, we, we see and, and and I forget where it's from. There's a. a somebody was telling me about a, a, a show that was on TV and one of the characters was reading through the Bible and and. There's only everybody in here is just ridiculous, you know, sinful and whatever, except for this one guy. And we forget that. 
Yeah. We forget that. We don't forget that Jesus was, was sinless necessarily, but we forget how sinful everybody else was. Yeah. You, you think of the, the patriarchs, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and don't tell me there's not a list of sins that we just gloss over when we read through there. You think of, you know, David's one of the easier ones to remember. Yep. Um, you think of uh, Solomon, of course, and, and, and every character that you can look at in the Bible, all the way up through Paul and Peter and, and John. Um, they're, they're, they're not perfect people. They, they're full of sin as well, just like we are. We need to remember that we are. Yeah. And so just because we're going to react how they reacted in a certain situation doesn't mean we're right. Yep. And, and I think of, you know, it, yes, the golden rule is a cliche, um, but in the middle, you think of the Sermon on the Mountain, how we, we don't look at how revolutionary that was, what Jesus was saying there. And he said, treat others the way you want to be treated. That wasn't a new saying for the people of that day. But it was phrased in such a different way. It was yes. every other way you see that in history, it's in the negative form. Don't do to others what you don't want done to you. Yep. And, and Jesus was changing that up, and he said, no, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. We have to be loving and positive and, and moving forward in that. And yes, there's going to be times that people are going to be offended at the gospel when we speak it, but they shouldn't be offended at us outside of that and and i've it's amazing if you say that on twitter the responses that you get back uh from folks that are strong believers that think that you know it's okay to cause offense and it's it just boggles my mind and 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 it's not something i'm perfect with because i give offense quite regularly Uh, i strive to not do it but i'm me and you know i'm human just like you are and it, I'm going to fail at it, but it's my goal to do those things that are the one another's, to not lie to one another, to not enrage one another, uh, to not, uh, you know, when, when correcting, what is it the father's not supposed to do to his children? He's not supposed to exasperate his children. Well, if in the closest yeah. relationship we have, I'm not supposed to exasperate my child, why do I think it's okay for me to exasperate somebody else for a political point. And let me put this in more modern terms. If I'm not supposed to own my child, why should I try to own the libs? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's the, basically that's the same idea. Exasperating your child. Yes. You're, you're running them out of words. And so you've owned them. That's our modern usage of that phrase. And it's a terrible phrase and it you know, drives me nuts. Why would you try to own somebody else? I mean, that, that we, I thought we dealt with that in the 1800s, but maybe not. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> rhetorically or really, it doesn't matter. I'm not supposed to be in possession of another person and my child, I'm not supposed to exasperate him. And yet I'm supposed to love my enemy as much as my neighbor and my neighbor as much as myself. And I'm supposed to love my child as much as myself, which means I'm supposed to love my enemy as much as my child. How difficult is that? Oh my goodness. And it's not necessarily in the same way. I will no. grant that. It is it is a different function. But the the fact that the word love is there and the Bible does not differentiate between the acts of love, whether they're motivated by familiar relation or by the command of God, doesn't matter. Love 
looks similar in both circumstances. We have a whole chapter that tells us what love looks like in corporate relationship. And if we're supposed to do that inside the church, we're supposed to also do it outside the church as a witness to who God is. We do this because God says it's the right way to behave. It's the right way to love. It's the right way to be because this is what who he is. Okay, so we take that chapter, apply that chapter to how I function at my job. And for me as a teacher, that one hurts sometimes because there are days when I struggle to love the child in front of me who, when I said X, asked immediately thereafter five times in a row, well, is X what you just said? I mean, it's tough. That is a, that drives me nuts. That's one of my buttons. And so, and I have to understand that that's my button. And now I have to figure out how to short circuit that button so that it doesn't go off in the middle of the class because I want uh-huh. to show that child love because God loves me when I do that to him because he gives me his word and it says, do this. And then I look at him and say, did you just say to do that? I do the same thing. And if I'm going to do the same thing, to God that a child is doing to me and God is going to forgive me, then I ought to be forgiving to the child. I think Jesus said that. I'm very certain that Jesus said that. And we fail so often at that to extend that grace. And, and that's part of loving. And that's part, I mean, when you look at first Corinthians 13, how much of that, of the explanation of what is love, the picture of love, how much of first Corinthians 13 is grace. Grace, 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 grace is not boastful, doesn't hold on to offense. Aren't those the things we call grace? Absolutely. Patience. Oh, know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's no easier way to, to show that to somebody than with the kids, I think. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And, and I think of, you know, with what you're saying, and, and the biggest thing, are you able to recognize your buttons? Yeah. Because I guarantee you, the people that... I now, depending on the age of the kid and depending on how, if we're talking conscious or subconsciously, that kid knows your butt. They find them faster than the adults do. They find them faster than the adults do. And adults that are speaking to you will find them faster than you find your own. Yes. And they'll keep using that button until it doesn't work anymore. The only way for it to not work anymore is for us to recognize it in ourselves. Yeah. And, and to then step back and exactly like you said, okay, I can't react that way. I need to be showing grace that I was shown. And to eliminate that button from getting the reaction that the, the kids or the adults are, are trying to, to get out of us. Yep. Because if they can, was it John said, you know, they will know us by our love for each other. Mm. And if we can eliminate that love for each other, whether that's in, out of the church, they, you know, we, we talked about that. It's, it's, that's to everybody. They eliminate that love and they can say, yeah, but see, ha ha, there you go. Yep. Well, and, and if and we totally negate everything yeah if we just love those who love us if we just love those who are like us if we just love those who are close to us well that's one of the very lines that jesus said what good is it if you love those who love you that's the very line he used Mm -hmm. to then say you need to love your neighbor as yourself i mean i ouch because that hurts because I want to love the people that are like me. It's easy to love the people who are like me. Even the unbelievers love people who are like them. And if we look at the 
intolerant quarters of modern society, and they're both left and right. But if you look at the in, intolerant quarters of modern society, what demonstrates their intolerance more than they love those who are like them and hate those who aren't? Yes. And how better can we have a witness of we're different than by loving even especially those who hold to things and speak to things and present things that are so antithetical to what we believe in. Now, I'm not saying love them to the point of giving them absolution because that's not my place, but I should show them love. I should do the one another's toward them in even though and despite the sin they may give against me. And that's where church life becomes really difficult because inside the church, people will sin against you and it will hurt more because they're closer. You know, when you throw a rock at somebody from, you know, a hundred yards away, it's not going to hurt as much as when they throw it at point blank range. It's just that simple. And they're oh, more absolutely. likely to hit you when they do it at short range. And they usually hit you in spots that hurt more in the first place. And when that happens, we re we react. And a lot of times we react, we return evil for evil or reviling for reviling to steal straight out of the verses. Um, man, that's hard, hard to get around when we're supposed to love one another, be patient with one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. Usually the rock they're throwing at me is a burden they're already carrying. It might look a little different, might sound a little different, but it's often the burden they're carrying or part of it. Yeah, and I, th I think, you know, we think of the, the church especially, it's when you throw a rock from 100 yards away, you can move out of the way or mm -hmm. you can get hit with it and walk away because it, it lost its force or you can ignore it or you can remove yourself from the situation or whatever. Yep. Inside the church, you have nowhere to go except to a different church. And what does that solve? It, usually it, you take the rock with you that just hit you and you start throwing it at somebody else when you get there. Exactly. Within the church, you can't ignore each other, especially in small churches. Uh, you know, and that's it. The bigger the church, the more you can maybe, you know, go to a different service or whatever. doesn't solve the problem. Um, but in a small church especially, you can't ignore the situation or the person that, that threw the rock. You can't um, avoid them. You can't do anything. You can't—all you can do is either create division or, or go to that person um, on both sides. Both people have to come and, and deal with the situation. And, and there's no in between because it won't, a house divided will not stand. You know, it, it's, it's so much more devastating when, when a rock gets thrown in that small uh, situation, but it, but it happens and it's going to happen because you get a bunch of sinners in a room together, they're still sinners. Yep. And it's how we react from that, that, that matters and that, that we can look to and, and live out what we're being taught. Remember what I taught you. Remember what you've been shown. Don't forget these teachings. Love one another. Forgive one another. Seek forgiveness. And it's easy to avoid that outside the church or, or anything like that. You can't avoid that inside the church. That brought up in my mind uh, Hebrews 10. And I, I've been... I'm getting ready to, to possibly preach this passage. I'm, I'm wrestling with this particular passage as being what I might use. But it says, uh, starting in 
Verse 10, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he's inaugurated us for us a new and living way through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. So at this point now we have the church body has come together. We've been sprinkled clean. Our consciences are clean. We're still going to sin against each other. And so what comes on? Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Remember what you remember. Remember your faith. Since he who promised us is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. I'm not supposed to provoke my neighbor to evil. I'm supposed to provoke the fellows in my church to love and to good works. I'm supposed to... I should needle them and poke them with love and good works because that's going to encourage them in love and good works. Man, that's hard. And then what comes next? Not neglecting to gather together. So I should provoke them and needle them and poke at them with love and good works. And the only way to do that is when we're in close proximity to each other. Man, that's hard to do. That's that that hurts because they're going to say things about me when they're mad at me because I dropped the ball on this project because I got distracted and I just didn't get it done. So now they're mad at me for doing that. And so they said something to somebody and now I hear about it and I have a choice to get mad about them saying it, or I can actually take it as, you know, I dropped the ball. It's really my fault anyway. And so I can provoke them to love and good works by saying, you know, it's my fault anyway. And still gather together with them and don't run away from them. And I see so much of that in, it shows up so much on social media of folks who are just running away from one church to another because they were hurt. And some of the hurt is real hurt. We're not talking about, we're not talking about imagined hurts of, you know, somebody said something about my aunt Susie. And so I'm mad at them. We're talking about rape. We're talking about uh, abusive pastors with like spiritual abuse that is demonic. We're talking about things like that, that happen within the church. And now they're, they're, they're taking that and they are hurt so badly. We are to provoke them to love and good works, not throw them away, but to provoke them to love and good works and not neglect to gather with them. And that will encourage them to gather with us and with others. And that's what, what comes next uh, as some are in the habit of doing of neglecting to go to get together but encouraging each other and all the more as we see the day approaching. So that allows us to point um, with one hand, we're pointing backwards to the full assurance of our faith. With the other hand, we're pointing forward to the seeing the day coming. And in between, we're trying to encourage love and good works. And isn't that what we should be doing in our families? And isn't that the way that when we witness, aren't those the things we do? We point back to the past of who God was at the beginning, at who God was in the middle, who God is in Christ, who God is in the Holy Spirit, and how all that works together to show us who God is so that we can see who we are and our need for God. And so that allows us to point forward to the end and say, you have two choices. And say, Here's Christ. Here's the more excellent way. Come, come. More excellent way. This is fun. Okay? And it, it, man, I fail at that a lot. 
to point at the past, to point at the future, and then to still walk along with each other in the middle. Yes. I might have to actually yeah. preach that now, and that might have to end up in there. <laughs> <laughs> the good news is I don't think this will air before that, so... <laughs> well, there you go. Um, you know, that to me, that brings me, you know, Jesus said, you know, come to me all who are, who are weary oh, and yes. heavy burdened. Um, but then also, you know, even even before that, um, or not before that, but what what you were saying brought up in my mind before that was um, beginning of Romans one. Paul says, you know, I, I want to come see you guys that we may be mutually encouraged by mm-hmm. each other's faith. Yep. You know, that's that's what should be the result of any time believers come together is that we should be mutually encouraged. Uh, that and that that you can't do that passively. And, and the, the scripture you were reading in Hebrews talks about that. We are to provoke them to good works. That's a strong, we don't get how strong that word is a lot in, in modern culture. To provoke, no. that is to say, you're going to cause and, pro, and, and to almost bring about, you're not, you're not doing it through yourself, but you're provoking. You're causing from what isn't there to cause it to come out. You're supposed to, to it's, you know, you think about, trying to uh, to 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 leech something out of something or to to draw something out of something else you're trying to separate things so you're trying to pull the love and good works from where it isn't showing and get it up to the surface you know I think back to you mentioned on on Twitter often there there's comments and there's responses um, that don't come out lovingly mm-hmm uh, that come out provoking in the opposite direction. And I, I know some of, I've seen some of those instances from people that I know are, are, are good, faithful, strong believers. And, and I wonder, have we, there, there's such a, a fine line sometimes between speaking the truth in love and iron sharpens iron. And like you said, do not exasperate your children. And, and provoking, you know, and, and responding evil for evil. Sometimes that line is so fine. Yeah. And we think that we're um, standing strong. We think that we're iron sharpens iron. We think that we're, you know, if they're getting offended, it's at the gospel. And sometimes it is. But at the same time, sometimes, like you've said, we, we have to be, we have to be conscious about how we are saying things, how we are reacting to things. And then uh, to keep continue that on, we have to say things and we have to react to things. Not everything, but th- we can't... There, there's that pendulum of passivity on one end and, and overly aggressive on the other end. Um, and, and finding that, that balance is so difficult, um, especially if we're not thinking that we're out of balance. Yeah. And if we're not thinking that we have to find the balance, then, then we don't even realize that we need to, to focus on that. And we, we think that we're saying the things that need to be said and we're saying them how they need to be said. And, and I know I'm, I'm guilty of this at times too. And, and sometimes it's just like, okay, sometimes we, we I told, <laughs> I told the people in my church the other day, I was like, you know, we, we all are going to fall into one of these two categories. The Holy Spirit leads us out of our comfort zone, and sometimes that's going to mean to speak up when you don't want to, 
Sometimes that's going to mean to shut up when you don't want to. Yes. All of us will fall into at least one of those two. Some of us will fall into both of those at different times. <laughs> and, and I know, especially on social media, that's so difficult to, to do. Our pride gets in the way, doesn't it? It does. Uh, I was, as you were saying all that, my mind jumped to today's simmering thought from Twitter. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, pay attention to the Twitter account at Simmer Thoughts. And most days I put out a simmering thought for the day. Sometimes it's a retweet. Sometimes it's uh, something that's it's the fruit of my thinking through scripture. And sometimes it's just me studying scripture and just posting the scripture by itself as the thought, because what better to think on. Uh, but uh, today I posted uh, from Psalm 141, verse five. Uh, it starts, let the righteous one strike me. That right there is hard to think about uh, whether the righteous one is God or the righteous one is your pastor or the righteous one is your child. It doesn't really matter. Let the righteous one strike me. It is an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It is oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. Now, if you really sit and let that one just say, you know, let that sit for a little bit. Let the righteous one strike me. It's an act of faithful love. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let me not refuse it. The it being the strike. The rebuke. Pause. Hit pause on your recorder. Count to two minutes. Press play again. Okay, everybody. <laughs> what I wrote was we should not recoil at rebuke from a sibling in Christ. Rather... It should be as oil for our heads and we should receive it as love. And we should also rebuke others in this spirit, not to beat them down, but to refresh and to grow. And when you think about that, that oil on the head, you know, if, if, if we allow someone rebuking us to be oil on our head, that is a refreshing, that is a renewing. Uh, so often, you know, that's an anointing. In the Old Testament, that is how anointing was done. They'd crack open a bottle of oil and drop it on your head. And that would clean you. That would refresh you. That would uh, bring you out of the stink of the day and, and to literally refresh the air around you to where you are a sweet spirit to be around. And let's think about that when we're rebuked. Do we allow it to be oil for our head when someone else rebukes us? Is that refreshing to us? Or is it more like the glass bottle gets broken up against our nose? I Usually we don't respond that well to being rebuked. And it's hard to do that. It's, it's tough to be rebuked. Um, my child does it really well without realizing he's doing it, that he'll rebuke me. And as a father, I have a choice to exasperate my child and ignore him or to show him love and apologize and help him to understand that I'm a sinner just like he is. And similarly, my unbelieving friends and similarly, my family members and my church brothers and sisters, the same thing, you know, when they rebuke me or when I go to rebuke them, am I rebuking them in the spirit of pouring oil on their head or am I more dunking them in the vat of oil, which is unfortunately too much of social media? <laughs> yes, it's a very vivid imagination that I have when I come up with those word pictures. <laughs> <coughs> 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 
Sorry. They, they are very vivid. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could just see somebody, you know, you're, it's supposed to be like pouring. You think about it. It's just a, a, a flask of oil that you pour over someone's head. We've seen it all. Most of us have seen that in a video at some time and it, or, or water over your head. You think about how that feels when you get in the shower. Think about that same idea. You know, are you anointing them or to, to go back to the old joke we used to do in elementary school? I don't know if you guys did this where you take your your fist and you hold it on top of somebody's head and you smack your fist and then you just slowly run your hands across the top of their head and tell them you just bust an egg over their head. <laughs> did you guys do that in your elementary school? I don't I don't think we did. Oh, I, man, I, that was like maybe I've just, you know, knocked that out knocked of my mind. Out. That was one of the things to do for about three grade levels when I was little. And uh, so they would do that and you would always feel rotten after somebody had done that one too. Because in your mind you have that, that idea of the egg yolk on your head and it's just gross. And, but if you take that and you think about that in this context, are, are we pouring oil over their head or are we dropping an egg on their head? Which is it? And, and how, yeah. many, how many times do we see, you know, egg on your face, egg on your head is an insult. So what are we doing? Am I, am I refreshing you? Or am I dropping an egg on your head? And that's and it that's on me. That is on me. How I approach that's on me. Now, if they feel like the oil I'm pouring on their head, that's legitimately what that is. If they take that to be offensive, that's not on me. But me watching my heart and making sure that I'm doing that in the right way is that 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 I'm responsible for. That's where my sin is and if they take my words the wrong way i have to be careful and not to uh turn around and respond you know if i'm pouring oil and then i suddenly start chucking eggs i might as well have saved the oil yeah you know and it's we you're you're, you're absolutely right especially you know we have to be conscious and careful how we are saying things make sure that we are pouring oil on people's heads and if they feel that it is yoke, then that's on them. And I think that's, you know, that's such a problem for, for all of us today. I think it's, it's easy to say, well, that's, that's their issue, but that's, we do the same thing. Yes. You know, well, you said something I disagreed with. So you're, you're really just putting egg on me, you know, instead of oil. No, maybe you just don't want to hear the rebuke. I know I often don't want to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'll, I'll, I'll say that it's, you know, egg on my face when it's really them coming out and, and, and lovingly rebuking me. Um, and, and we just, we do, we have to be careful. Not, not again, not to the point of passivity, not to the point of not saying anything. We have to be aware of what we say and how we say it. Mm -hmm. I, I ran into a situation uh, earlier this week. I, I posted a, 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 what I thought was a, a funny meme on, on Facebook and, Basically, something along the lines of, you know, pastor's kids are regular kids. You know, they're not held to any higher standard. I had a church member come knock on the door and say, hey, is something going on? Is somebody saying something about the kids? Is somebody, we, I want to pray with you. I want to figure this out. I want to deal with this conflict. No, no, nothing's going on. It was just, it was just that I'm going to take that down because if it's going to cause this sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, it was just a thing that I that I shared, and it, it had no concept that it would lead to anything. Right. Um, but that's. But I did share it, and so I have to own that. And I, 
I took it, took it down because I didn't want there to be any confusion or, or, or whatever. Right. Um, it's just, just become, being, being aware of what we're saying and, and how we're saying it. And not being afraid to restate what we're saying is another part yes. of it. You know, when, when we think about that inside the family, how often do the, do the, do the struggles of a family show up and it's because of, well, I've said what I've said and I'm not going to say it again. Well, maybe what you need to do is say it again because, and, and say it in a, to- think about it and say it in a totally different way so that you can build them to your understanding because clearly some, there's a disconnect. So we need to, to step back, think about it and come back again. And it's probably not good to do it right then because neither of you are listening well. Uh, I keep coming back to a post I made not too long ago. That's actually now it's been a while ago uh, that I don't listen well when my ears are buzzing and it doesn't matter what they're buzzing with, whether it's anger or love or whatever, whatever emotion I'm in, if my ears are buzzing because I'm so hyped up on something, I'm going to hear poorly. And especially that goes when, when I'm hyped up and, you know, if my wife and I are having a disagreement about something, it's hard for me to listen and hear what she's saying. And she could be saying the most loving thing in the world, but because my ears are buzzing with anger, I, I can't hear it. And the same thing with, you know, and even if my son comes up at that moment and says something incredibly loving and tries to, to comfort me, my ears are buzzing with not happy and I don't hear him. And I have to maintain that. I have to notice when my ears start buzzing and figure out why and turn it off so that, then I'm responding to people with fresh ears and I can hear what they're saying. And that goes in each of these contexts. So, you know, we're talking corporate relationships. So we're talking corporate relationships. Anytime you're together with people, it's true in the office. It's true at home. It's true in the grocery store. It's true at Walmart. It's true in the interstate. How many times do we get mad at a guy and just lay on the horn? I've had that thought sometimes, you know, a guy comes up flying up behind me and I get out of their way and they just about take my quarter panel off and I'm mad and then I, it every once in a while, a thought will pop into my mind. Why are they driving so fast? And then I start coming up with excuses for why they might be driving so fast. <laughs> Their dad just had a heart attack and they're heading to the hospital. If that is the case and they just drove up on me like that, would I be mad if I knew that? No, I wouldn't be mad. I'd be, I'd be trying to get out of their way even faster so they could get there. So yeah. how many other scenarios are similar to that? That would be a really reasonable reason that I would be driving like that. Now I have no clue which one of those is true. Which one should I believe the one that gives them the most benefit of the doubt or the one that gives them the least. I want to at the moment, give them the least and be mad at them because now I've had my day ruined, but that chances are it's probably somewhere in between. It could be that they're being selfish and dangerous, but it's probably something else going on. And it's, it's hard to give that, that room for that to happen and in any corporate relationship. And the more people you add into the, into the mix, the harder it gets and the more complicated it gets. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, I'm reminded, um, I was reading something about Peter and, and how Peter gets a, a hard rap in, in the new Testament for how he, he's hotheaded and speaks and all these things. And, and, the person was kind of doing apologetics for Peter, right. and and but what they said, I think, stuck with me. And they said, you know, we so often as human beings, we're so quick to believe the worst in others, mm-hmm. but the best of ourselves. 
and I've taken that and I've, I've tried to reverse that. And, and it's not easy and I fail so many times every day yep. in that. But, but our goal to show grace to each other should be to believe the best about others. And for lack of a better term, the worst about ourselves. You know, we know our, we know our sinful self better than, than anything. We know those buttons. We know how we react when somebody does something. We know or we should. the thoughts in our head that don't end up making it out of our mouth but are still just as sinful. Yeah. Um, so trying to reverse that and thinking the best of others and the worst of ourselves. And it's, again, you talk yeah. about the most difficult thing in the world. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, I think sometimes it's just taking the step to even evaluate it. We, we don't even want to do that. And I think so many, I think this may be where some of the baton passing fails. We've talked, we talked about that early in the episode where one generation, you know, either doesn't reach out the baton or they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time or the generation before never lifted their hand. I think some of that is a, a, a lack of self-awareness and a lack of, of understanding where one stands. And, and that's where a lack of, of being in the word, a lack of being in prayer really shows itself because I lose track of how bad I really am. Uh, I lose track of, of my, my sinfulness as I see the word show me my sin, I understand that I need to understand how much sin I have so that I can see others with grace. And when I forget how bad I really am because I'm not looking at the word and I'm not in prayer and I forget the sins and I'm not going through thinking about how do I walk after Christ and where are his footsteps and where can I put my feet to be just like that and how hard that is. It's hard it, when we're when we're not doing that. It's really easy to get selfish, and it's really easy to lose track and not have that self awareness. <clears throat> and and even when we are doing that, sometimes we lose our our way. I identify so well with Peter. Like I just I really identify well with him. I think he probably had ADD just like I do. At least that's my <laughs> argument. Uh, I'm sure somebody with a better medical field training than I do could probably look at that and tell yes or no, but it sure seems to me like Peter was thinking it's, it's kind of like pinky in the brain. Peter is a lot like pinky and you know, he's just never really on the right wavelength. He's close. He's, he's sometimes there, but sometimes he's just way out in the middle of nowhere by himself. And sometimes he's in the middle of nowhere by himself and it's the exact right place to be. And then in the very next moment, he turns around and he's facing the wrong direction when they take the picture. It's just, you know, and it, it just strikes me that that's it's me that I, I so identify with that. Of I can answer the question spectacularly. And then you ask me the follow up question and I am way out of the ballpark. I have no clue what's going on anymore. And so now you have to wonder, did he understand the first question or did he just lose his mind before the second question? And and. Don't we think that about Peter? You know, oh, absolutely. he got it in this breath. And then, you know, one breath, he's saying, Jesus, you're the Christ. And the next breath, he's being put as get behind me, Satan. Imagine the whiplash that that puts in your mind. And to you see, know, I picture I, I picture him as, as he it's actually the times where he speaks without thinking that work best. Yeah. And then he said he starts thinking about the follow up question, yeah. like you're saying, and gets himself all twisted and. And, and that part I can absolutely oh, yeah. um, 
identify with. I think all of us can. That's one of the reasons I think Peter is such a uh, a universal character to us. We can identify with him. Paul, a lot of folks struggle to identify with Paul and to really yes. understand it because the in order to have his understanding of sin and his ability to talk about humility and to get to that point, you've either got to be exceptionally humble or exceptionally blind to your own self. And he understands his own sin so well that he's not blind to himself. And so that, that leaves us with that humble and that we have a hard time identifying with. Well, and, and he has the, the problem with Paul is he, his humility is so deep that especially on first and second readings as, as young Christians or non-Christians, especially it comes off as proud, right? It, it like super proud, like super arrogant because it's so humble and, and you don't, you don't catch that, um, without either already knowing it or, or growing up with it or, you know, growing into it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, Paul's, Paul's a difficult one for sure in that regard. I've had the benefit of growing up around and, and living around and, and even now as an adult, knowing some folks that are just that, that unique brand of humble that they know themselves that well, that they, they see themselves in such a right perspective and that just, it, it rubs off and you, 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 you are provoked to love and good works and humility because of their just being in the room with you. Um, and they, they soften your edges basically, um, just by their presence. And they're generally folks that are a generation or more older than me. Uh, yep. there are some that are younger than me that do that. There are some that are my age that do that, but generally they're older than me. And that, that time tested humility, um, startles me. My, I'm, I don't know how much you're aware of the stereotypes of musicians, but trumpet players are well known for being egotistical. <laughs> and I started on trumpet and I'm one of the cast offs from the trumpet section who then went to an instrument called the euphonium, which is well known for um, producing players who are equally as egotistical as the trumpet players. We're just quieter about it. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, understanding that and dealing with that area of pride first before I really started dealing with pride as a sin, just dealing with it as a, as a problem in the band. Um, and, and, and the, the corporate nature of how a band functions and how dangerous pride is there. It helps helped me understand as I, as I matured how that manifests itself inside the church, which functions very similarly. There's a lot of parallel between music ensembles and the church. Um, that's, it's something that I, the further I get along this walk, the more I notice it and learning to understand what your, what your stereotype is. If someone stereotypes me, what is it going to be? And how can I, how can I adjust how I react to things so that I can change that stereotype? How would somebody typecast me? do I fit that typecast and is that the typecast I should be fitting? And if it's not, how do I move that direction? And in, in, in this is one of the problems of small town and, and the tight knit family is that once you're typecast, it's really hard to get out of it. 
So the same thing in the church, once you're typecast, it's hard to get out of it. If you're egotistical, it's hard to get out of that typecast and it's hard to change. Uh, but the church is one place where we're supposed to be provoking people to that point and also accept, accepting them as they change and as they mature and as they grow to yeah. uh, have that ability. You know, you think about uh, Titus and you think about Timothy, uh, think about John Mark and the, the fact that and, and how they changed through our interactions with them in scripture and even how how church history re- relates them to us and John, for that matter, and Peter and Paul, you know, you watch them mature and grow and they had room to do that. It's one of the beautiful, beautiful things about Barnabas is he gave John Mark that room to grow. And he, he, he gave him a, a, an environment around which he could grow. And we're supposed to provide that to one another. That's that provoking love and good works is providing a, a good growth environment for somebody else. Barnabas is one of my favorite favorites. He's, he's who I want to be when I grew up. <laughs> that's, I'm, I'm um, coming to that where that's, that's my, I want to be like Barnabas. If somebody could yeah. say your name needs to change, your name needs to be Barnabas. That would be like, the ultimate compliment Absolutely. because I mean, we're never going to be worthy of someone saying you're like Jesus all the time. It's just not, we're, we're striving for it, but we're not, I'm not going to get there yet. But if somebody says you remind me of Barnabas, man, that would be, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. You know, one of the things is reading through those, we see those, those, I hate to use the word character because that connotates, you know, um, fiction or, right. or, whatever, but these, these people in the Bible, and we read about them, and some of the things are more disjointed, so it's harder to see some of that, you know, with like John Mark, for example, and and that, but that's one of the things, I, I'm, I'm blessed, my wife is able to, these people are so real to her, yeah. um, and, and she has a way of being able to point things like that out and say, um, we call it... <laughs> um, she thinks about them as people, and so what were when were they eating? When were they sleeping? When were they mm-hmm. you know, going to the restroom? When were they doing these things that we don't see in there? That helps make them real to her, and 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 she's able to then point things out that I would never see, uh, including some of those things like you're talking about now, the the growth that we see in those those people that aren't quote unquote main characters, that aren't the the recognizable names, mm-hmm. that aren't. You know, John, uh, it is it, easy to see him go from a son, uh, one of the sons of thunder. I, I love that nickname, and 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 on to being the disciple whom Jesus loved, and then the who he is on on Patmos and writing to the Ephesians and yep. and all that. It's easy to see that progression. Um, we even with Paul, you see who we see in Acts who he was as Saul, um, and then we don't necessarily see the progression, but we see the before and the after. Right. Well, I, we even see a little bit of the progression in the earlier letters compared to, say, Second Timothy and the tenderness that's there. Yeah, yeah. We, it's not that we don't see any progression, but right. it's, you know, there, there's more of a gap there. But, but some of those other people in there that we don't see as much. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, we, we need to be able to see that uh, in, our, in our people in church and, and around us and, and allow them the ability to change give them an environment that fosters that provoking that growth uh, and and that change and and bringing up it's not 
church isn't just getting together on Sunday and listening to music and listening to the pastor. Yeah. If that's all it is, then there's no point in it. And and we we have to be able to 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 be a body and to help each other grow, um, to equip each other, to 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 provoke each other in the good way that you mentioned in Hebrews to to do these things and 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 not that we need to be perfect, but we can't be staying stagnant there. And and to be able to to do that growth takes a body and a family and a mm-hmm. a group of one another's together that are 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 fostering and encouraging that. Yeah, it reminds me earlier you mentioned uh, iron sharpening iron. And I love that analogy. And I, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, and I really don't care because I'm going to say it again because I love repeating it. And it just makes it's a it's such a great picture. Iron sharpens iron. Yes. But when iron sharpens iron, both pieces get sharpened and both pieces lose flex of themselves. I love that. And so, you know, when we see that picture, when we talk about that, you know, somebody sharpening two pieces of iron, they're both losing pieces. They're both throwing off sparks. Yeah, there's sparks thrown, but they're also both losing a part of themselves and they're being honed into and and the the, the rough part is being honed into something smooth and it's being honed into from something that doesn't work correctly to something that does work correctly. And if you're not in a situation where you're able to be around other believers, your iron is not going to come in contact with anybody else's iron so that your iron sharpens as somebody else's iron. When yeah. God is working on us, he is, he is the blacksmith wielding the hammer and gently moving the metal where it needs to go. Uh, and he is the master blacks, blacksmith who's not going to cause it to break. He's going to do it right. Whereas when we try to take the hammer up, we're not as, good at that and we tend to break things and when we try to be the hammer rather than another piece of steel hey we're we're the same piece of iron that you are and so we need to sharpen each other i'm not your hammer i'm not the one who's going to pound you into submission that's not my job i'm supposed to sharpen you and when we sharpen when i sharpen you you're going to sharpen me and that's okay and and sometimes it hurts you know when we lose flex of ourselves it's going to hurt uh, that's that that picture of pruning that that we're given you know the the vine that's the the part of the vine that's still connected to the to Christ the branch that's connected to the vine it's going to grow but God's going to prune you so that you can produce more fruit well that pruning i don't know of too many trees who like the process of pruning it hurts them uh, they bleed i mean they, they they give up sap it flows out of them when that happens you have to repair on certain trees, if you don't repair the prune properly, it destroys the plant. It could kill the whole plant. And that that idea of, of pruning and that idea of iron sharpening iron, those are painful processes to the things that are that are having it done to. And we have to remember that. And it's hard to remember that because we want to get to that end product where it looks all beautiful. Very few projects look good in process. Yeah, we for, we forget about the time that it takes yeah. to do anything, um, and and we we do we want to pick up the hammer and we want to be the one forming the iron instead of sharpening it with our own iron. Yep. And again, we go back to the whole thing on social media, and I think that's where that that line that we were mm-hmm. talking about earlier comes into play. Yeah, um, the people or or the comments, if we we're including ourselves, those comments when we make that don't fit the right tone that that don't come out as loving 
when we forget that and we pick up the hammer, try to do that instead of even saying the same message, but doing it in the, you know, with, with iron ourselves instead of the hammer. Yep. And being and That's, presenting myself as someone to be sharpened rather yeah. than presenting myself as the one who's already sharp. Absolutely. It makes a big difference. It opens people's ears sometimes. Yeah. I, I may just steal that whole uh, hammer and, and iron sharp and iron thing from you for, for some analogies going forward. <laughs> you, you may have it. Everyone listening to this, please, you may have it. I don't, anything that I think up is probably an amalgam of several things I've stolen from other people that I don't even realize I've done it. So it's kind of the way it goes. In in the music world, band directing world, everything that is taught is handed down from generation to generation is, you know, things that my teacher said, and then I'll I'll find a new way to say it. And so it's the same thing, just said a different way, but it's really the same thing. And so I'm sure it came from somewhere along the line. Some teacher along the line said something similar and it stuck. And then I was, I'll, I'll sit and I'm weird in that I will sit and chew on phrases like that. And, and think about, you know, iron sharpens iron. Well, how is it that iron sharpens iron? And, and that's how that came about as I was sitting and thinking about it. And I don't remember why I was thinking about it. And it was probably something somebody said that provoked it. And, uh, but it's true, you know, when you sharpen iron, if you're not causing things to, to move, you're not sharpening anything. And as you sharpen it, it does knock off flex. You're going to lose pieces and it hurts. (laughs) I've, I've yeah. had a lot of that over the years and I expect I'm going to have a lot more because I'm not quite sharp all the way yet. Uh, and and I, we I, can look forward to this, how we get to. Yeah. And we should know. celebrate. That's the hardest. The hardest thing is I need to celebrate the pruning while it's happening. I should be able to celebrate the pruning. If, if I'm reading scripture correctly, that, that God Hebrews, we're going to just stay in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons, and it's an expression of his love for you. Okay, so the pruning when he cuts me back hurts, but it's for my good, and it's because of his love. Got it, which is exactly what we tell our children when we smack them on the hand or smack them on the bottom because they weren't paying attention and they were about to hurt themselves. And so we had to get their attention somehow, or we raised our voice through them for the same reason. And now they look at us and they're hurt. And we say, what is it? We say, I disciplined you because I love you and I don't want you to get hurt. Yep. <laughs> it's right there exactly in front of right. our nose, you know? So, well with that, and I, and, and we work ourselves back to family at the end. How, how wonderfully, uh, round of us to do that to get to get back where we started good good planning and form right uh but uh this is something as you can tell that both of us have wrestled with quite a bit it's not just something we're we're jumping into fresh uh one of the reasons that i think that that we've connected so well on twitter is because we do do these things these are things we're thinking about on our own and uh and it shows as we sit down and have a conversation like this to, to be able to go through that many different places uh, in history and, and different contexts, corporate bodies, whether as small as a family or as large as a nation function largely the same way. And the things that Paul says about the family or that, that the Paul says about the church family are so similar to how our, small families are supposed to work and our national families are supposed to work 
when they're done in a God honoring way. And we all know if we hold to the God of the Bible and we hold to the Bible as his word, then we know that what he's teaching for the church is also best for society. And those are the things that as we're involved in all of the different activities we're in, whether it's in uh, a child's sporting activity or whether it's in our workplace, whether it is in the national political arena, the things that are supposed to work within the church are the things that God has designed to work also in those contexts. And we do ourselves and we do our witness a disservice when we don't carry those lessons from the church building and from the church body out into the larger community because it's our opportunity to, to be different, to look different, and to be a pleasing aroma around those who are going to be saved. And yes, around those who are going to not ever be saved, we will be the smell of death to them because to them, salvation is death and they don't want to, they don't want to die. And those who are going to be saved know that we're going to die and we die to ourselves so that we can live in Christ. And uh, with those kind of thoughts in our minds, as we engage with others uh, through the next coming weeks, I want you to simmer on that one for a little bit. Let, let yourself simmer on that. Those who are afraid of death the most aren't going to die every day. And those of us who have no fear of death don't mind dying every day because we know we get to live with Christ. And uh, that's a heavy thing to think about, but it also will cause us to provoke one another to love and good works because we're living through Christ. And with that, we want to say, have a wonderful week, and we hope you will join us again for Simmering Thoughts in the very near future. Have a great week, everyone. That's it for this episode of Simmering Thoughts. Stay tuned for our next episode in our Anthropology series, coming soon to a podcast catcher near you. Thank you for listening to Simmering Thoughts. If you've not already done so, please go subscribe to Simmering Thoughts at your favorite podcast catcher. Join the conversation by joining our discussion group on Facebook at Simmer Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram and on Twitter at the same handle at Simmer Thoughts. You can send an email to simmeringthoughts at gmail.com and you can follow me on Twitter at BandmanAcres. Thanks again for listening to Simmering Thoughts and we pray that you have a great week in the Lord.